0: Hello, hello, happy Friday. Man, this week flew by. Unless you were on the 210. Oh my gosh. Supposed to go to the Dodger game with Amy King tonight. And she texted me at like 930 and said, oh no, I just remembered about the 210 closure. How are you going to get here? I said, first off, it's a Dodger game. So duh, whatever it takes, I'm going to get there. But I'm thinking to myself, oh, yeah, how am I going to get there tomorrow? Well, I guess I'm going to have to go 210 to the 57 to the 10. I'm sorry if you have to go to work this morning. I have to say we are live again in the KFI Emergency Studio in Rancho Cucamonga, also known as my house, which is awesome. But, uh, yeah, if you've got to go to work, we've got the eastbound side of the 1.3-mile stretch of the 210 Freeway in Irwindale still closed this morning. Will Cole Schreiber is going to have all the latest on how you can either try and eke through there this morning, how much extra time that's going to take you. Also, he's going to give you any alternates around this. Again, if you can do the 210 to the 57 to the 10, the 60 is also an alternative. So you've got you do have ways around it, but uh, just uh, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. They're better for you than they were yesterday. The two men running for sheriff of LA have had their first debate, and a new report shows LAX ranks 20th for price increases throughout the United States. I know that sounds bad. You don't want to be in the top 20 of anything, but think about that. Actually, LAX, for all of the grief that it gives us and all of the grief we give it back, it is only 20th in price increases. I'm trying to silver lining this, guys. 505, we'll talk with ABC's Jason Nathanson, get into our entertainment news this weekend. And Game of Thrones, your big weekend is finally here. It's the prequel. And I think some things that some people want to know is, will it satisfy all those Game of Thrones lovers who were so mad about the series finale? So this is the prequel. It's called House of the Dragon. And is this going to appease all those people who are upset Also, we've got Bad Sisters from Apple TV+, Plus, Marvel's latest She-Hulk, Attorney at Law. I don't know if you're going to get me to watch that one. We'll see what Jason thinks about it. And we've got Beast opening as well this weekend. So let's start with some of these stories coming out of the KFI 24-hour newsroom. Caltrans is warning drivers just stay away from the 210 freeway near Irwindale.
2: The freeway is down to three lanes both directions between the 605 and Irwindale Avenue. Caltrans spokesman Eric Menavar says drivers should expect major delays.
3: We recommend that they divert to other freeways such as State Route 60 and Interstate 10.
2: Commutes on the 60 and the 10 have been impacted by drivers using them. The lanes on the 210 have been closed for construction on the San Gabriel River Bridge. The lanes are scheduled to reopen Tuesday morning at 5. From
0: the 210 Dwarty, Blake Trolley, KFI News. All right, three people have been killed when two small planes crashed in Northern California. Santa Cruz County Sheriff's Lieutenant Patrick Dimick says the two planes were landing at Watsonville Municipal Airport yesterday when they crashed into each other. We
2: cannot confirm anything else at this time as we've just secured the airport for the NTSB and FAA to arrive and conduct their investigation.
0: Watsonville is about 100 miles south of San Francisco. Watsonville is kind of around the Gilroy area. So if you've ever been to the Gilroy Garlic Festival, Watsonville's kind of in there. Now witness says it looks like one of the planes went down right through the other one.
3: All of a sudden, I, I saw in the blink of an eye another plane there and they hit each other and it was almost as if the faster plane had gone right through the smaller plane.
0: And we'll keep in, uh, let you know more on that investigation if they figure out what in the world happened. The two men running for sheriff of L.A. County have had their first debate. Both wasted no time in taking jabs at each other. The virtual debate on Wednesday night was sponsored
4: by the Sherman Oaks Homeowner Association. One of the topics that came up was the sheriff going into Venice Beach to clean up homeless camps. Here's Robert Luna.
1: Because you show up on the day of a cleanup with the cowboy hat and say you... Fixed it all doesn't mean you were actually fully engaged
4: in fixing it. Sheriff Villanueva is a
2: top law enforcement official in the county. My responsibility doesn't end in the limits of my jurisdiction. I set foot on Venice because Venice Boardwalk was literally falling apart.
4: Other issues like the Board of Supervisors and the role of the sheriff came up. Both Luna and Villanueva were invited weeks ago to a live debate on KFI, but the campaigns could not agree on a format. Steve Gregory, King KFI News.
0: Jason Nathanson, good morning to you, ABC's entertainment correspondent. Let's talk about what's up this weekend, and it sounds like it's what Game of Thrones fans have finally been waiting for, kind of for two different reasons. One, of course, they're excited about the prequel to the show, so you've got the House of the Dragon showing up, but also you have to wonder if some of them are like, all right, listen here, Game of Thrones people. You sucked at the end of the season finale, and you better pay off on House of the Dragon.
3: Yeah, a little bit of redemption for sure. I think a lot <laughs> of people want, but also, if you remember back to the early days of Game of Thrones and when people loved it, and you know, even in the last uh, the the last uh, uh, series there, uh, the last season. It did really, really well. It was the biggest hit ever for HBO, averaging something like 32 million viewers. We haven't seen a show oh. do anything like those kinds of numbers since then. Uh, so I, I have a feeling a lot of people are going to be tuning in. And remember, Game of Thrones was such a big hit for HBO. I think people, a lot of people forget just how amazing its run was. 59 Emmys, which was a record for a drama series. Uh, It had over 160 nominations, which was also a record. So House of the Dragon has a lot to live up to. And after seeing the first episode, I can tell you, it's pretty good. If you're a fan of Game of Thrones, I think you're going to be satisfied here. It starts a little bit slower, but by the time even the first episode kicks in, Um, And by the time it ends, you're like, okay, I feel like I'm back in that world. It feels very much like Game of Thrones. um, And I think that's very much on purpose. They don't try to deviate too much from what worked. Uh, and I think that's going to be welcome for a lot of people.
0: Absolutely. I mean, and it's smart on it on HBO's part because if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of thing. But at the same time, I wonder if—granted, I'm sure this was in the works far before they ended Game of Thrones, but you have to wonder if they, too, also are, are thinking of that redemption moment there. Maybe they're thinking, like, we let fans down, so we better make sure that we go back and do what they enjoyed. You know, kind of one of those just-play-the-hits sort of things.
3: I know they do feel pressure for sure, and they're and they're making this. And w- one of the uh, creators or of, or kind of co creators of this series uh, is a guy who directed a lot of those uh, shows, the, the the Game of Thrones series, uh, Miguel Sapochnik, and he is very much involved in this, and and I think fans are going to kind of appreciate that. And the story itself. It feels very much like Game of Thrones. It's set about 170 years before the events of what happened during Game of Thrones, but focuses on the struggle for power for the Iron Throne, which I think a lot of fans are going to recognize. And and some might even say, this feels a little bit too familiar. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'll be interested to see where it goes and how it does differentiate itself and not just become a carbon copy of Game of Thrones. But... I think what fans are looking for, the stuff, the kind of stuff that they're looking for, it's all in there.
0: All right, sounds good. All right, so now let's go to – you've seen all of these, by the way, as I'm starting to go through these?
3: Um, Everything except for Beast, the the new movie that's in theater.
0: Okay, so what did you think about Apple TV Plus's Bad Sisters?
3: Loved it. One of my favorite new shows that, uh, I've seen so far this year. This is about a group of sisters, five sisters, uh, who uh, are in Ireland, I believe. And they all, they're very close. They're all great friends. One of them has a husband the, everybody cannot stand. And then it kind of turns into a little bit of a murder mystery, and you got to figure out what's going on. It's a comedy, it's a drama, and it's from Sharon Horgan, who is, she's fantastic. I checked out the show Catastrophe, uh, which she co-created, which is really, really funny. One of my favorite comedies of the past uh, five or so years. Really, really good show. Uh, she created that, and she's been, she's had her hand in a lot of other shows as well. Uh, but this kind of, it's it's really dark, it's really dry, and I love the humor.
0: Okay, sounds good. And then what did you think about, because I, I got to admit, there's a a big uh, electronic billboard right in Irwindale, actually right at this, the 210 closure, and She-Hulk has been advertised there. <laughs> and I thought to myself, oh God, really? No, I don't think we need She-Hulk, especially She-Hulk, attorney at law. It sounded cheesy. Tell me it
3: wasn't. Uh, I love the name, She-Hulk, attorney at law. That just sounds funny right off the bat. and <laughs> It does.
0: You, I'll give you... it that.
3: Yeah, and you know they're being tongue-in-cheek, and you just ha- you hope that they deliver on that. You don't name a show She-Hulk Attorney at Law and, you know, feel it's going to be a straightforward law show. Sure. You know what they're doing. And it's also based on the comics, the comics from the 80s and the 90s, which were very much tongue-in-cheek. Uh, She Hulk would turn to the audience in that she would argue with the the creator of the comic and the editor of the comic um, And they have a lot of that in this as well where she she turns to the camera and she talks to you She knows she's in a TV series, but also it's Marvel. It's very well done. It's funny Um, You know, and Tatiana Maslany who leads it she was the star of orphan black and you know Fantastic actress the first time we're seeing her do a straight-up comedy uh, Which is very good The CGI is a little bit the the only, I think, sticking point here. When she is in the She-Hulk form, it doesn't feel exactly natural. Let's put it that way. Okay. Um, And and she has to interact with a lot of people, and it it just doesn't. But if you can forgive that, which I could for most of it, I, I had a lot of fun with it.
0: Okay, sounds good. And finally, what is Beast? Idris Elba, of course, everybody likes him.
3: Yeah, this is the only new uh movie opening wide in theaters this weekend. He plays a father with two teenage daughters and they're being they're they're uh on safari and they find themselves being hunted by a massive rogue lion. So, oh. if you can if that sounds like something that you're into then uh you can go check that out at the theaters this weekend, but it's not expected to make a whole lot of money.
0: Um I kind of know why. Just because that sounds a little silly, but hey, you know what? Sometimes in this day and age, especially if you're somebody sitting on the 210 this morning, you're like, all I want to do is turn my brain off. And that sounds like the perfect movie to go to.
3: Yeah, silly is fine. Um, I I think just in this day and age, people want silly at home. They're not necessarily going to go out to the box office and spend money on silly. Oh, that's a good point.
0: All right, Jason, have an awesome weekend, and I'm sure I'll talk to you next week. All right, take care. See you later. That is ABC's entertainment correspondent, Jason Nathanson. Couple more stories to squeeze in before we go to the break. The feds have announced more than $144 million in funding for 11 drought resiliency projects in Southern California.
1: Democratic Congresswoman Katie Porter says more than $12 million will improve a multi-city reservoir project in Irvine.
0: Making sure that all,
1: 100% of our sanitation water is able to be treated. U.S. Secretary of Interior Deb Holland says more than $300 million in infrastructure law funding has been set aside for 25 projects that fight drought. By bolstering water reuse and recycling techniques and supporting over 850,000 people providing clean, reliable drinking water. She says $267 million of that funding will be spent in California. At the Irvine Ranch Water District, Corbin Carson, KFI News.
0: A man described by prosecutors as a serial killer has been found guilty of murdering two young women whose bodies were found in the 80s in Burbank and Montclair. Horace von Waltz was convicted yesterday by a jury in LA based on DNA evidence. Waltz claimed he had consensual sex with both women and that someone else had committed the murders. Vanessa Bryant is scheduled to testify in the trial of her federal lawsuit against L.A. County, alleging negligence and invasion of privacy by first responders. The suit alleges that first responders shared cell phone pictures from the scene of the helicopter crash that killed her Laker legend husband Kobe and their 13-year-old daughter and seven other people. California will invest $5 billion in mental health and substance abuse services for kids, Governor Newsom said yesterday, California's master plan for kids' mental health will train 40,000 behavioral health professionals over the next few years and establish universal screening and support for everyone. 28 alleged members and associates of South L.A.'s street gangs have been arrested by a multi-agency task force. The raids happened yesterday. They were for people allegedly involved in racketeering, extortion of local businesses, and drug weapons trafficking. Agents seized 47 guns, various amounts of meth, fentanyl, cocaine, heroin, and marijuana, plus $140,000 in cash. Well, the last of the three men who buried a busload of children near San Francisco for a $5 million ransom in 1976 have been have been given parole now, or granted parole, I should say. The kids and their bus driver were able to dig their way out, but some claim the nightmare still haunts them decades later, and. I completely think it would. Some of the others were 5 to 14 years old at the time and have supported parole for Frederick Woods. The Madera County DA says releasing the person who left a busload of kids buried alive is a mockery of justice. And finally, here's the LAX story. A new report shows LAX ranks 20th for price increases throughout the U.S. Researchers at SmartAsset.com used data from 100 of the busiest airports from the first quarter of uh, 2021 to the first quarter of this year. The average ticket price at LAX is $332. That's a 34% increase. Long Beach came in 96th with an average ticket price of 226. Burbank ranks 99th with an average ticket price of $242. The highest price jump was at Westchester County Airport in White Plains, New York. That's where the average price jumped 46%. Now, I did say earlier this is good, right? That LAX isn't number one. We are not in Westchester County, White Plains, New York. That's the good news. However, if we only jumped 36% or 34% at LAX, does that mean our ticket prices were already so high we didn't have as far to jump as the folks in White Plains, New York did? Just saying. And, of course, our big story is the one that plagued us yesterday and is going to be plaguing us, it looks like, until Tuesday morning at 5. It's the eastbound side of the 1.3-mile stretch of the 210 Freeway in Irwindale that remains closed. Eastbound traffic is being diverted to the westbound side. And Will Cole Schreiber, at our last check of traffic, said, it's not horrible. (laughs) So what I felt like he was saying was, it sucks less than it did this time yesterday morning. But still... The Suckfest is on. Now, this whole portion has been reconfigured to allow three lanes of traffic in each direction. The stretch between the 605 and Irwindale Avenue will remain blocked through 5 o'clock Tuesday morning. And did you hear about this preschool in Hollywood? It may have to close because a van exploded across the street from its entrance. Parents say the explosion is symptomatic of a growing problem of homelessness in the area. One parent says she saw two homeless people having sex as she arrived just to her two-year-old daughter's school, and she had the two-year-old with her. Other parents have complained about trash, hypodermic needles scattered around, and people screaming profanities. Enrollment has even dropped from 45 a few years ago to just five. Let's say good morning now to ABC's Luke Barr. This was quite a surprise yesterday. After almost four years, you had three men finally charged in connection with the death of mobster Whitey Bulger. Who are these guys?
1: Hey yeah, good morning. So uh, these guys, three of them, uh, Freddie, guys, Paul D. Correglio, and uh, Sean McKinnon, uh, were all inmates at uh, USP uh, uh, in, in in West Virginia. USP Hayston in West Virginia, and Bulger was shortly murdered, uh, as you said, four years ago, after he was transferred uh, to the prison from Florida, uh, and, and Bulger, of course, is the the leader of Boston's Winter Hill Gang. He was on the run for 16 years after being caught by the feds in 2011, was tried and obviously convicted and was in federal prison. Uh, But yet totally a surprise. It has taken four years uh, for this, for this, uh, these charges to be announced. Uh, We're not sure what took so long uh, when we, when we're pretty sure that federal authorities had sort of an idea of who these guys were uh, and what they did. Um, And, you know, uh, it remains to be seen now, <clears throat> excuse me, what the Bureau of Prisons will do after these charges have been released.
0: Yeah, it's funny. That was going to be my next question. Why did it take so long? I mean, you know, you only you have a small pool of people that you can choose from when you're looking totally. at a prison system to decide who, in fact, was involved in this. And so it does. So, A, totally. we still got to figure out why that took so long, but also why these guys did it. And And I'm going from the aspect of. Is it just the notoriety if you're a prisoner to say, like, look, we took out, you know, Whitey Bulger, we can take you out too, that kind of thing? Or was there some sort of, you know, one of those old school, um, I guess, kind of movie plot kind of things where somebody paid somebody to get rid of Whitey Bulger?
1: Well, I, I don't know about the latter, but I, I can tell you uh, it is interesting why it's taken four years. And, and if you look sort of at the the, the arc of. Uh, the the Bureau and how slow some of the investigations take. For example, we still don't know what exactly happened uh, on the night Jeffrey Epstein died by suicide. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's sort of the slowness of the Bureau. Uh, But to your question about why it happened and who these guys are and what their motives were, we don't know. But what we do know is that, you know, our reporting has led us to believe that Freddie Guy is sort of the main perpetrator uh, of this, uh, really did not like rats, As some of your listeners might know, Whitey Bulger was a federal informant before going on the run for 16 years. Uh, So, you know, we, our, our reporting has led us to believe that he didn't like rats and people who were informants to the government, but there's been no hard evidence and no, you know, nothing from the government that explicitly says that. But that's sort of where our reporting has kind of led us.
0: Okay, so if that guy didn't like rats, did he get the other two guys, I guess? And I know we're completely speculating on this to go along with him. Were they cellmates? I guess there's a whole lot more that we need to uncover before we can even figure out exactly what the connection is between the three guys that were arrested.
3: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at
2: chumbacasino.com.
0: No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: Yeah, and, and, and it's total speculation. And so it's not, you know, I, I can't really get into the speculation of it. But, you know, what I think we'll end up uncovering, well, what we will probably end up uncovering from this case is sort of the motive, uh, the Intention behind the killing, whether it was just uh, somebody was upset, like you said, and wanted the notoriety of killing Whitey Bulger, or whether pretty guys really did in fact hate, um, you know, rats. Whatever it is, I think that through the prosecution and through the the case, we'll, we'll uncover sort of exactly why this person did it uh, and these men allegedly did it, and 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 what sort of they were their intentions were.
0: All right, thank you so much, Luke. I appreciate it. Thanks. Have a great weekend. Hey, you too. See you later. That is ABC's Luke Barr. I read a story uh, last night about the arrests in the Patriot Ledger. And two of the guys were identified as suspects, like Luke said, shortly after Whitey Bulger's desk, right? But they were still uncharged all these years. Now, the other guy, McKinnon, McKinnon's mother told the Patriot Ledger that— Her son, who was one of the other guys' roommates at the time, so at least two of these guys were cellmates. I like the mom called them roommates. It's like they were in college. They were cellmates. And at the time of Bulger's killing, but of course, she says, but my son says he didn't know anything about the murder. Okay, mom, God bless you. It's adorable. First off, you say that your son's roommate in prison, talked to you and said, Mom, I don't know anything about this. Whitey Bulger killing? Two things. A, why would he tell you that, Mom? And B, like he's going to say, Hi, Mom, how was your day? By the way, I offed Whitey Bulger here in the clink. Anyway, how's your cornbread recipe doing? But, you know, Mom's family members always get a pass because they're... Loved one is in prison, falsely accused. (laughs) Always, always, right? Anyway, so we'll keep an eye on that story. But uh, I'm interested to see why it did take so long. It's just, it's odd that it would take this long. Especially because these two, two of the three were suspects right from the get-go. So what in the heck happened? All right, also, Just a heads up, in addition to the 210, one more little traffic note for you. And uh, this is kind of this would all be part of your weekend drive if you were out and about this weekend and you have to use the 210 maybe to get into the Burbank area. Don't forget, we also have a stretch of Griffith Park Drive that has been closed to cars. And check this out. The Board of Recreation and Parks Commission voted yesterday to extend this temporary closure of the roadway indefinitely. As you might recall, the road closed after a cyclist was hit and killed by a driver on Crystal Springs Drive in April. A couple of quick stories for you. California is going to get more than $267 million in federal infrastructure funding, all to fight the drought. And this is such a sad story. Two ducks have been euthanized after they were found with severed bills at a park in Fountain Valley. The ducks were found alive at Mile Square Park, but had to be put down because they couldn't eat. The first duck was taken to the Wetlands and Wildlife Center July 31st. The other was taken and euthanized on August 31st. All I can say is I hope they find whoever is doing this. And let me at him. Dean Sharp, good morning. I bet you want to be there with me when they find those yeah, guys.
2: Yeah, that's just... Uh, it's
0: disgusting. Like it. it yeah. uh, it's unfathomable. Anyway, you can follow Dean on social media at home with Dean and... And you can follow him uh, Or tomorrow morning. Listen to him 6 to 8 and also Sunday morning 9 to 11. All right, let's talk about that patio because usually it is that thing in the backyard that you just assume has to be there for the rest of your life and you have no choice and you sort of have to just decorate or plant around it. But maybe we're not asking ourselves the right questions about that uh, gross gray thing in the backyard.
2: You're exactly right. Uh, I would say that for most tracked homeowners in Southern California, which is most homeowners, uh, your house came with, uh, you know, this uh, boring rectangle of concrete right outside the back of the house. Now, we have all come to assume, well, that's where, you know, it's a patio. That's where the patio goes right it's right outside the back of the house uh smashed up against the side of the house and it is whatever size it is it's hard to shade it it's difficult to design furniture or flow around it because you also have to use it to walk out into the yard so a lot of that open space quote unquote that's there has to get uh, you know handled as hallway or treated as hallway uh, you put patio furniture out there and you're like, okay, well, this is a lovely set. And then you realize, well, now I've ruined my view from inside the family room because now I'm staring at my patio furniture and not the yard anyway. I mean, <laughs> the, the list goes on and on. And it essentially all stems from a budgetary decision on the part of tract home developers, which is, hey, this house has a patio. Look, and we just stick it on the backside of the house. There wasn't any master plan there. It was an, in order to just give the home a feature uh, and to be able to list it. And, uh, and there you go. Um, and as a result, we're all stuck with this. The problem being, it's not that they're not impossible to resolve, but we're not used to asking the questions that we need to of our patio in order to make it truly an outstanding feature in the yard.
0: And can you, okay, so what do you do? You look at this thing, it's stuck there, or is it stuck there? Can you move a patio? Can you, what can you do to it? Especially if say it's See, it's right off your, uh, I don't know, your sliding glass door that heads out to the backyard. How do you fix that?
2: Okay, so just to be clear, uh, and, th- and we're talking about this all weekend long, both shows, by the way, Saturday and Sunday, we're talking about uh, the patio and what to do with it. I really am speaking to not people who want to make do with what they've got but to really want to transform uh their rear yards and their patio experience you can't move a patio per se a concrete patio i mean you can't pick it up and slide it over okay but um but it is a non-structural piece of concrete in your backyard in other words it can be demoed out relatively easily. it doesn't have the kind of foundational steel and rebar in it that the rest of your slab has for the house uh, it's not that hard to just get rid of, and uh, and it's not that expensive to uh, start over and just simply pour it or build decking or create uh, gravel or decompose granite areas. You know, we say patio. I'm not always talking about the concrete. Any area that is set aside in your yard for uh, human communal activity is technically a patio, and they can be done in, uh, you know, a hundred different ways my point is for most homes most now of course there are homes where you've uh, opened up a lot of sliding glass door and you want a transition from the family room inside to a family room outside or a california room and a seamless transition where people can flow that's great and if that and if you got that attached to your house fantastic but my point is it's this big multitasker patio that's more than that that's stretched out across the whole back side of the house we don't need that much we don't need that much there and a lot of people maybe most people don't need their patio attached to the house at all what they really need if they start asking the questions about what makes my backyard sexy is that patio set out further in the yard Where it's surrounded by plants and trees, where it has the best view, that point of the yard where you have the best feeling, that you enjoy being the most, very, very rarely. Do people ever say, oh yeah, standing right next to this hot stucco exterior wall of my house, this is what I enjoy the most in my backyard.
0: (laughs) So what you know what's interesting is almost the very beginning, the first thing that you have to change in your mind is the definition of patio, which I, I don't think I ever thought of that. I thought that was just the thing that you stepped off onto once you walked out of, you know, the actual structure of your house. But Like you're saying, I I mean, and I think about your backyard where you have more of a decking type feature and then you have different little areas that are seating areas and things like that. You've almost created like different patios in a way all throughout your backyard. And I kind of never thought of it that way.
2: Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I would say that that is probably the number one question uh, or questions to be asked what's the purpose of the patio because a patio really essentially should be ideally an outdoor room Mm -hmm. an outdoor room think of it as a room in your house which means that room has a very specific purpose you know there's a difference between a bathroom and a bedroom and a living room and a kitchen and a sitting area okay so give the patio a purpose uh, if, it, if the patio is really an outdoor room, it probably means that uh, you're going to need more than one or you'll want more than one. There may be one patio area that holds the outdoor dining table. Okay, that's the outdoor dining room. There's another patio that is the sitting area for uh, friends and family to get around and uh, have a conversation, maybe around a fire pit or something like that outside. In fact, you mentioned our backyard. Uh, Tina and I just made the decision this last week uh, because we're redoing the surface of our deck. We're actually going to minimize an area of our deck now that our ash tree has grown up and is all shady and wonderful. Uh, we're going to actually put our dining patio area on the other side of our ash tree, disconnect it from our main deck uh, so that it's in the shade uh, 90% of the day. And uh, just a really nice, beautiful fresco dining area out there. We may not build another quote-unquote patio. We actually may level the ground, put pea gravel in there in a very kind of an Italian villa way and uh, set our alfresco dining table out there in that area. That's what I'm talking about, destinations with purpose. A patio should be, ideally, an outdoor room.
0: Well, if you think about it in your house, which what you guys are doing makes absolute sense because you have friends over for dinner, you all eat dinner in the kitchen or in the dining room. And then oftentimes you say, let's retire to the living room or the den, something like that. In your case, you're doing this outside. So you have this area where you would go and eat and then you might say, "Okay, let's retire over to now the other side of the ash tree. And that's where we're all going to sit around the uh, fire pit and chat.
2: Exactly. And uh, you would think, you might think, oh, well, well, that's, you know, great. If you've got the budget to do all that kind of stuff. But here's the thing. Uh, The point is when you isolate patio areas with specific purpose, you don't need to make them overly big. You can size them just to what they need to be. So the amount of square footage that we need just for the dining table and chairs uh, is considerably smaller than if we throw that as an addition onto the big unitasker patio that's out uh, in the back of the house in the first place and uh, also has all this other space running around it. We can tighten things up, actually save on materials and square footage, and make things more beautiful at the same time.
0: You are amazing. So you're going to be talking about this tomorrow from 6 to 8 and Sunday 9 to 11. And uh, it, this just sounds like fun. This, I think the thing is that if people have never thought about their patio and they're like, I'm not really thinking about changing anything These are the kinds of shows that I like to listen to because all of a sudden, for those of us who are like, no, we like things the way they are, you give us the ideas and then we start going, wait a minute. I could change things back there and I never even thought about it before.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, isn't it time that we just have a little fun on the weekend? So we're just going to reimagine what our yards can be.
0: Yes, I love it. All right, Dean, have a wonderful weekend and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Jen. All right, see you later. I highly suggest you don't even try the 210 this weekend and just stay home and listen on your radio or the iHeartRadio app to season three of Unsolved with Steve Gregory. Steve, thank you for getting up early with me this morning.
4: Well, it's my pleasure, Jen. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, my gosh. I love Unsolved. I am a big fan of true crime. But what I think makes your show so different is that it has real results, where a lot of time you see these shows... They're already done. You know, it's in the past, and somebody's just gone through to tell the story. Yeah. You're kind of telling these stories in real time, and they're right here in our backyard.
4: Yeah, you know, and that I think that's what makes our show uh, so unique and so different is that um, not only do I have the relationship with the investigators, uh, and, and I'm glad you kind of brought that up because a lot of these, most all of these true crime shows that you see or these podcasts that you listen to, uh, they've got, you know, 30 producers that go back to court mm-hmm. records uh, from 50 years ago, 40 years ago, whatever, and then they, they just write a script. I'm actually going along, my team and I are going to the Homicide Bureau of the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, and we're sitting there in the actual office of the, uh, where, where the detectives are at, and we're talking with the detectives. I'm looking at the case files, and they're walking me through it. They show me evidence, and it's... um. It's very unique, and uh, this week, you know, we just we were out in Pomona taping. Uh, this season's going to have, uh, and this is what I like about it: is we're not just highlighting cases from the big agencies. You know, we're we're featuring San Bernardino Sheriff's Department and Pomona Police Department. We're going to feature some cases from Fullerton PD, also the Orange County District Attorney's Office has got some cases for us. So, um, yes, and it has had an impact, and that is what's really so special about the show because when we started this last fall had no idea that it was going to have an impact now i can't honestly say that the show is responsible for solving a crime yet but i can tell you that it has generated hundreds of leads hundreds of tips rather um that have come in uh, over the over the course of the last two seasons the fbi when they we featured a high-profile case of el mencho uh, the agent called me back and said, our tip line just spiked. It just went crazy. The LAPD, season one, teardrop rapist. Uh, we received four tips on that case alone, and this was over 20 years ago. And one of those uh, was actually what they considered a credible lead. So it's, uh, it's um, been very, very uh, interesting, and it's, it's certainly been uh, a, a lot more popular than we thought.
0: Oh, my gosh. And it's got to feel gratifying. But I think that that's a testament to you. And I'm not blowing smoke here, but that you have gained the respect of these investigators to let you in on, you know, these various investigations that they're doing. But also, you've gained the credibility of the public where they feel confident enough to call these tip lines and to add these additional things. And even though maybe nothing has been solved yet yet, you've given at least, or the the people who are listening to Unsolved have given information that may lead to that. And I, I bet that that's sort of a piece in it that maybe you were hopeful of, but maybe didn't think, ah, eh, you know, I don't know if that'll ever happen. But now that all these tips have come in, I think you could be one more piece in solving one of these puzzles.
4: Yeah. And if anything else, uh, investigators have been pleased uh, because people I don't think understand that a cold case detective that's looking at a case right now from 15, 20 years, even five years ago has, you know, this is the first time he or she is seeing that case. So they, they have to start over. Yeah. So that's, yeah. it's, and in like, but the case tomorrow night with Bryce Pisa, the missing case from 2013, this is, this is one of the biggest mysteries in Los Angeles County. And I had the pleasure of being able to interview the lead detective that was on the case in 2013, and he's just about to retire. But I was able to get him to sit down for a couple hours and talk with him. So the entire show tomorrow is dedicated to the uh, missing, the missing college student Bryceless piso
0: Okay, tell me a little bit of the backstory on this one.
4: Okay, so uh, if people don't know, this is a kid that was going to school in Northern California. He was uh, having some problems up there. He had just broken up with his girlfriend, and he called his mother. And then mom and dad lived down in Laguna Niguel. And he was uh, heading home. He was coming home in his SUV, and he never made it. And he kept calling along the way, and somewhere uh, near Lake Castaic, he disappeared. Um, And all they found was the overturned car with a little bit of blood inside, and he hasn't been seen since. He left his wallet, a backpack with a laptop in it. Um, And this has generated so many theories, uh, rumors, and speculation But there's some things that um, I I covered the case when it happened because it was such a high profile case. There were some things that the detective told us in the taping of this show tomorrow that I didn't even know and some some interesting revelations that I don't ever recall from the case. So it's going to be very, very interesting.
0: When it comes to cases like that, how do you get them? How how are you coming up with them? Are the investigators coming to you and saying, hey, we need help on this? Or are these stories that you've covered in the past that you say, hey, that one was super interesting. We never got the resolution on that. What's that? What's this kind of uh, where where are you generating all of these different cases from?
4: That's a great question. I'm glad you asked that because um, this case tomorrow with Bryce Lispisa, uh, as you know, I've covered you know hundreds and hundreds of these types of cases. But I had forgotten about it until listeners started emailing me saying, hey, whatever happened to and Hmm. um, this case tomorrow, uh, I received about five or six, I think it was five or six emails over the last uh, over the last few months about this case. So all I do is I take that and I, I call L.A. County Sheriff's Homicide Bureau and said, hey, listen, is there any movement on this? Can I talk to somebody? Is it still open? What's the situation? And then I sort of negotiate it with the captain in charge. Next thing you know, I get the detective. In other cases, um, the detectives have called me, and and then I know about the show. Now, I mean, word has spread now throughout all the different agencies that the show exists, and now I'll get a call or an email saying, hey, I've got a great case for you. Do you think it'll work on your show? So that's about the two places that, that – or I just literally send out a, a, an email uh, to all these different agencies saying – Here's the show. Here's how it works. If you have any great cases, compelling cases that you need to give some attention to, let us know. And that's kind of how it works.
0: All right, Steve, congratulations on the success of this show. Congratulations on the idea for the show. And uh, I enjoy the heck out of it. So I'm looking forward to season three starting tomorrow night.
4: Thank you for your support, Jan. Always appreciate it.
0: Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. That is Steve Gregory, our awesome, not just reporter here at KFI, but the host of Unsolved, which again starts tomorrow night, season three here on KFI. If you haven't listened, please do. I'm telling you, if you like true crime stuff that is literally true crime in your backyard, this is what you need. This is KFI and KOSTHD 2 Los Angeles, Orange County. I'm Jennifer Jones-Lee. By the way, I just kept saying Unsolved with Steve Gregory was tomorrow night. It's 8 to 10 tomorrow night here on KFI. So just heads up on that. This has been your wake up call.
3: Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
0: Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Haha, in my dentist's office.